Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and I am thrilled to have back with me today Dr. Jillian Isaac for another ABA Keyword episode. This is number 24. We're really making some progress here, and today we're going to talk about nitroprusside and nitroglycerin and a little bit about kind of following up on our discussion last time about hemoglobinopathies. We'll just touch on how they um, relate to their effects on hemoglobin, and so this will kind of be part two of that discussion that we had last time. I'm looking forward to it. Jillian, welcome back to the show. Great. Thank you. Yes. So initially I was going to do like a full on hemoglobinopathies part two, basically the drugs that can cause hemoglobinopathies. But what I realized is we covered a lot of that in the previous one. And that really, when I looked at these vasodilators and the two today are nitroprusside and nitroglycerin, they're kind of like key words in and of themselves. So it ties into last week, but it's not as formal of a part two as I was hoping. That's fine. When we were talking offline, we, this is what we meant by part two. If we don't right. say that, then people are going to be looking for part two. So right. um, fair enough. All right. So where do we want, where do you want to start? Yeah. So this is actually found in the ABA content under both the basic. It's on page 19 of the outline. It's under vasodilators, nitroprusside, nitroglycerin. So for the basic exam, they want you to have a basic idea of these drugs. And then it's also going to be covered again in the advanced exam. And it's more in putting these drugs to use. Like when do you, you use these drugs for like deliberate hypotension? How are you going to treat a hypertensive emergency or like angina or retain placenta? So that's, you're going to see it in both the basic and the advanced. And the basic comes back again in the advanced. About 30% of the advanced exam is basic material. So it will come back in that point too. So it's really interesting. I, I start these podcasts by combing through questions. I look through thousands. I mean, when I say thousands, I look through thousands of questions to try and see what they have been testing. And I thought there would be very even numbers of nitroprusside and nitroglycerin questions, but that's not the case. There's actually so much about nitroprusside. And I remember that when I was studying because it's very complex pathways and there's a lot that goes into it. There's like met hemoglobin and cyanide toxicity and thiocyanate. So they're very popular questions because there's so many things you can ask about nitroprusside. So that is a lot of today is actually nitroprusside because that's where the questions are. And then I look in open anesthesia because they actually have a really nice like keyword um, part and it goes through all the keywords there. And if you look on the ABA website, they actually recommend open anesthesia. It's one of their recommended sources. Um, so that's kind of how I start this and how I get an idea of what they're testing. So the first key point for nitroprusside, it's going to be its use and its mechanism of action. So nitroprusside is direct acting. It's a highly potent, non-selective arterial and venous vasodilator. It's given IV um, to treat acute hypertensive crises, acute decompensated heart failure, to increase cardiac output in the clinical setting of cardiogenic shock and high SVR, and then there are other uses. It interacts with sulfhydryl groups on erythrocytes to form methemoglobin and release cyanide and nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is the good one. That's what you want. And that binds the vascular endothelium, activating 
the guanylate cyclase and stimulating the cyclic GMP protein kinase pathway. And the CGMP inhibits calcium transport and produces the clinically therapeutic effect of vascular smooth muscle relaxation. So nitroprusside causes comparatively balanced vasodilation within both the venous and arterial systems. It does not affect non-vascular smooth muscle like the bowel and the uterus. And I'm only saying that because nitroglycerin does. And uh, it has a rapid onset within 30 seconds, peak effect within two minutes, and it get, goes away within three minutes. So when I was a resident, I feel like I use nitroprusside a lot in the OR because it's so titratable. It's very fast onset, very fast offset. It's really good in like acute hypertensive emergency. So it's a drug that I use a lot, but I feel like we've gotten away from it a little bit. I don't think I've used it really much recently. It's really um, expensive now. So that's the is problem. It? Oh, I yep. didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Now, just to clarify, I think, I, and I may have misheard you, but these are used to increase cardiac output in the clinical setting of cardiogenic shock, right? I thought you said decrease, yes. but in, oh, I, I may have said it wrong. It's increased. Yeah. If I yeah. said it's definitely increased cardiac output. Yeah. Great. Sorry about that. Yep. And then I just want to say that I know I have seen questions in the past about like that cyclic GMP pathway. I just couldn't find any, but I know that they're out there and I know that they exist. So I just couldn't find any examples of that when I was looking through this. So questions that you will see towards this key point. Uh, a patient with chronic paraplegia at a T4 level is undergoing cystoscopy and removal of bladder calculi without anesthesia. After 10 minutes, blood pressure is 240 over 100 and pulse is 50 beats per minute. The most appropriate management is administration of A, spinal anesthesia, B, inhalational anesthesia, C, methyl dopa intravenously, or D, nitroprusside intravenously. Right. So they are getting, they're trying to trick you here, obviously, by making you think, oh, you could have prevented this crisis by doing a spinal at the beginning. But obviously right. taking the time when a patient's blood pressure is 240 over 100 to, to then do a spinal um, is not the right approach. You want to treat that blood pressure immediately and bring it down. And so the most uh, of the options they're giving you, the most effective option is going to be nitroprusside. Right. And this is hyperreflexia. Yeah, autonomic hyperreflexia. Autonomic hyperreflexia, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's a commonly, in and of itself, a very commonly tested thing in hypertensive emergencies and right. You would try to prevent it with either deep general or spinal, but we're not preventing. We're, we're in the crisis, and nitroprusside is fantastic in these type of emergencies. Um, next question, which drug produces strong pulmonary arterial dilation with the least amount of systemic artery dilation? A, nitroprusside, B, prostaglandin E1, C, fentolamine, D, nitric oxide. Yeah, so the key here is noticing, and this is really tricky, you see that quickly, you're in the rush, it's an exam, you see nitrous oxide, you think, oh, it's nitrous, but that's nitric oxide, which we, of course, use for this purpose of dilating the pulmonary vasculature, and it gets um, it gets metabolized before it can ever get to the systemic vasculature, and so it's a, it's a very specific pulmonary vasodilator, so nitric oxide is going to be the answer here. And so while nitroprusside will cause... Um, Pulmonary arterial dilation is also going to cause systemic circulation dilation, right. whereas nitric oxide will not nearly as much. Okay. Um, next question here. So during anesthesia with nitrous, nitrous oxide, 65% in oxygen, fentanyl, and pancuronium, nitroprusside is administered to decrease arterial pressure to 85 over 50. A decrease in PaO2 from 120 to 65 is most likely caused by a, cyanide toxicity, B, depressed cardiac output, C, mild hypercarbia, D, metabolic acidosis, E, pulmonary vasodilation. 
first, I'm not 100% sure why we're decreasing blood pressure at 85 over 50 on purpose, but let's put oh, that aside. Did you never do deliberate hypotension? We, you know, we it, there were definitely some surgeons who would ask for it, but I think yeah. we, where I trained, it was pretty, like we took a pretty strong stand against it. I did it at Columbia. We had a really big OMFS service. And for the people who were having the Lafort osteotomies and having their whole jaw, like these young, like 17, 18 year olds, we would do it then. Yeah, and we did it for some backs. I, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but that's probably the setting. Like, why? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's put that aside. So, um, like we talked about in the last question, sodium nitroprusside is going to also dilate the pulmonary vasculature, and it's therefore going to potentially screw up uh, or cause VQ mismatch, screw up your your VQ matching, yeah. because it's going to dilate non-selectively, including dilating vasculature that is in contact with poorly ventilated lung and therefore you're going to get more shunt and then that's going to cause you to have some hypoxia. And this is another question here. Which of the following drugs is a potent inhibitor of hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction? A, propofol, B, isoflurane, C, desflurane, D, nitrous oxide, E, nitroprusside. So again, for the same reasons, nitroprusside is going to Die, is going to fight your body. What your body's trying to do, which is to vasoconstrict parts of the pulmonary vasculature that are in contact with poorly ventilated lung, therefore having less blood flow through less well uh, ventilated areas, it will fight. It will do the opposite. It will reverse that, and therefore it will um, inhibit your body's ability to have hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction. Interestingly, nitrous oxide does the exact opposite because it only gets since you breathe it in. It only gets to the part of the lungs that are well ventilated, and so it actually improves VQ matching. Right. So, as an aside, another very commonly tested subject is hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction. That, in and of itself, is a high yield. So. It's interesting because I keep doing these keywords. You see the overlap, like coming back, right, between like drugs and different right. phenomenon. It's um, okay. So here's another one, very similar to the first one. You're called to the cystoscopy suite. A surgeon's performing a cystoscopy on a long-term quadriplegic patient with a local anesthetic. The patient starts to complain of a stuffed nose and blurred vision. The patient is sweating profusely from the face. What drug would be best to administer? A. Sodium nitroprusside. B. Clonidine. C. Atenolol. D. Epinephrine. E. Phenylephrine. So this is, again, a, a, they want you to be thinking about autonomic dysreflexia or autonomic um, dysfunction, uh, not dysfunction, autonomic dysreflexia or autonomic hyperreflexia. Uh, both of those are, this, are different words for the same thing. And so like we talked about in the first one, you want to treat that hypertension. Now, obviously, you would be able to measure this patient's blood pressure, but it would be very high. And so you would want to bring it down. And like we said, sodium nitroprusside is a great option for that. Um, the, of the other options here, obviously, epinephrine and phenylephrine would do the opposite. They would bring it up. Uh, clonidine is going to be, um, you know, it, clonidine can bring blood pressure down, but it's a much um, less precise and fast-acting option. And a tenolol, a beta blocker, is not going to be an option in a patient who has uh, is going to be very bradycardic as well. That's those two things go along with autonomic dysreflexia, severe hypertension, and bradycardia. Um, so the next key point about nitro nitroprusside would be the metabolism. So sodium nitroprusside interacts with oxyhemoglobin, transferring an electron from oxyhemoglobin to sodium nitroprusside, which creates the methemoglobin. And this rapid decomposition of the sodium nitroprusside radical causes release of the therapeutic nitric oxide and 5 
complex cyanide ions. Four of those cyanide ions are converted to thiocyanate in the liver through an enzymatic process involving rhodonese and thiosulfite as a sulfur donor. Thiocyanate is excreted in the urine with a half-life elimination of roughly three days. This is prolonged in patients with renal dysfunction. The remaining cyanide ions react with methemoglobin to form cyan methemoglobin, and when sodium nitroprusside infusions exceed the capacity of the liver, or when sulfur stores or methemoglobin are depleted, then cyanide radicals accumulate and cause, can cause cyanide toxicity. So that's the me- metabolism. And I really encourage you to just pull up a picture. Like I'm a very visual person. Like I can say all these words, but I, I had to actually look up the pathway myself. But these are really common questions. There's so many parts in this. Um, it takes me back to like MS1 days, right? Like <laughs> in biochemistry class. But, um, so the questions that you're going to see regarding this, which of the following statements concerning a patient who has been receiving nitroprusside for several days is true? A, biotransformation of cyanide requires a sulfur, sulfur donor. B, formation of methemoglobin increases cyanide toxicity. C, increased serum thiocyanate concentrations are innocuous. D, mixed venous PO2 decreases as cyanide toxicity develops. E, serum thiocyanate concentrations reflect the degree of cyanide toxicity. It's a lot, I know. Yeah, this is the big one. So um, you, as you just took us through, biotransformation does require a sulfur donor. So if you know that, then you know A is the answer. Um, just looking at some of these other ones. So formation of methemoglobin increases cyanide toxicity. I think that's not true. In fact, it's when you can no longer form the methemoglobin, when methemoglobin stores um, are depleted, that's when um, you start to get in, uh, buildup of the cyanide radicals. Um, increased serum thiocyanate concentrations are innocuous. No, I think those also can cause um, problems in and of themselves. Mixed venous uh, PO2 decreases. So your mixed venous sat will decrease as cyanide toxicity develops. It's the opposite, right? So cyanide toxicity will prevent utilization of oxygen. Therefore, your mixed venous oxygen will be uh, artificially high uh, or unnaturally high. And then um, Serum thiocyanate concentrations reflect the degree of cyanide toxicity. So I think that isn't uh, an accurate statement. I think they do not reflect it. Right. Uh, so that is A, biotransformation of cyanide requires a sulfur donor. So the next question here is the metabolism of which of the following hypotensive agents is most likely to be affected in patients with severe renal disease? A, esmolol, B, hydralazine, C, nitroglycerin, D, nitroprusside. Here, you just have to know that nitroprusside is uh, pretty dependent on renal clearance as you went over for us, Jillian. So, you know, here it's going to be D more than those other things. And the next question is cyanide toxicity from nitroprusside is unlikely in patients with renal dysfunction because A, renal excretion of thiosulfate is decreased. B, metabolic acidosis inactivates cyanide. C, anemia inhibits breakdown of nitroprusside by oxyhemoglobin. D, Thiocyanide is formed in the liver. E, the dose of nitroprusside necessary to lower blood pressure is greatly increased. This is interesting. So it's saying that cyanide toxicity from nitroprusside is unlikely in patients with renal dysfunction. Um, and I think that's because, thiosol, uh, because thiocyanide um, concentrations will increase, right? It's the thiocyanide, uh, thiocyanate is what's de- excreted in the urine. So that will build up. Is that right, Jillian? Right. But thiocyanate not- will build up, but you'll have more thiosulfate because you can't get, clear it in the urine. So the thiosulfate will bind the cyanide, so you'll get thiocyanate, but not necessarily cyanide. Right. So you'll get thiosulfate, uh, thiocyanate buildup, but not 
cyanide buildup. And right. so exactly. that's that's quite tricky. <laughs> it is very um, tricky. All of these are yeah. tricky and it's really hard if you don't have a picture in front of you to like kind of think through all these pathways. Right. right. So the answer is a renal excretion of thiosulfate is decreased. Um, so that is what that is what prevents cyanide toxicity, um, even right. though that seems like it would be the opposite. So it's not, it, it is, it, you do get buildup, it's just not buildup of cyanide. Yeah, uh, exactly. And like I said, I think it's not so much that the board loves nitroprusside, but there's so many questions you can take in all of these biochemistry pathways um, that there are a lot of questions that can that are out there that kind of revolve around nitroprusside as a result. So the next key point is dosing. Um, like we talked about earlier, nitroprusside has a rapid onset of action within 30 seconds of IV dosing. The peak effect is usually seen within two minutes. The duration of action is three to seven minutes. And the effect ends within three minutes after the infusion is stopped. And the elimination half-life is one and a half minutes. You really want to do invasive monitoring when you're doing sodium nitroprusside. I've always had an A-line in anyone who's getting nitroprusside. You can start the um, infusion at 0.5 mics per kilo per minute, titrate it. You can go all the way up to 10 mics per kilo per minute, but you don't want to go up there for more than like 10 minutes at a time um, because and if the because of all the toxicity things you can get. And then if the blood pressure isn't controlled after 10 minutes, then you should add something else and decrease the nitroprusside to a safer dose. Uh, usually 0.25 to 1.5 mics per kilo per minute is sufficient to treat hypertensive patients. And you want to measure thiocyanate levels in patients with renal dysfunction or those who've been on IV infusions for more than three days. And the other thing, sometimes you see these questions, I couldn't find any, but sometimes they do ask about why nitroprusside needs to be protected from light. And it's because light can cause um, sodium nitroprusside to convert to aqua pentacyanoferrate ion, which would readily cause releases of hydrogen cyanide in the patient. So you can increase cyanide toxicity if you don't cover it. And we used to have these little brown bags that covered the nitroprusside. Uh, so the type of question you're going to see here, it's just going to really be about dosing. Above which infusion rate does cyanide toxicity become a concern in a healthy adult receiving sodium nitroprusside? A, 0.5 mics per kilo per minute. B, 2 mics per kilo per minute. C, 10 mics per kilo per minute. D, 20 mics per kilo per minute. And you just, this is just something you're going to have to know. The answer is two. Um, yeah. Most, as you said, most of the time, you're not going to need to get that high. But if you do, you want to be really careful and not use it for too long. So above two yeah. is where you really start to work. 10 worry. minutes max, right. And then another question I saw, but I didn't put it in because it was very repetitive. It was, what is the max dose in a pediatric patient? And in a pediatric patient, the max dose is two. So in an adult, it's 10, but in peds, it's two. And so sometimes you see that, uh, especially if you're going to do take care of kids. Okay, next one are all the side effects, the toxicities. And we've touched on some of these, but we're going to go through them again. And then this ties into the hemoglobinopathy. So side effects, you can see cyanide toxicity, thiocyanate toxicity, and hemoglobinemia. So cyanide toxicity can occur from the cursion, from sorry, from the conversion of sodium nitroprusside to cyanide and thiocyanate. The accumulation of cyanide leads to a severe metabolic lactic acidosis which can occur with the higher dose infusion, such as five mics per kilo per minute for prolonged periods of time. These patients can have mental status changes and seizures. Treatment with so, with um, so, sodium thiosulfate can minimize the likelihood of cyanide toxicity in patients receiving the high doses of um, nitroprusside. Cyanide toxicity is a rare complication. Symptoms are anorexia, nausea, fatigue, disorientation, and toxic psychosis. Thiocyanide can actually be removed by dialysis. 
Methemoglobinemia is actually unlikely to occur, um, but you can still see that in patients with impaired oxygenation and adequate cardiac output if, treat, if being treated with sodium nitroprusside. So you can see methemoglobinopathy with this. So I love this next question is so great because you have to parse out a guy who's having issues from nitroprusside and they give you all four things and you have to figure out what it is. So there's a 62 year old guy. He's in the ICU after an elective repair of an abdominal aortic aneurysm. His vital signs are stable, but he requires a sodium nitroprusside infusion at a rate of 10 micrograms per kilo per minute to keep his systolic blood pressure below 110. The SAO2 is 98% with controlled ventilation at 12 breaths per minute and an FiO2 of 0.6. After three days, his SAO2 decreases to 85% on the pulse oximeter. Chest x-ray film and results of physical examination are unchanged. Which of the following would most likely account for this desaturation? So they're going to give you all the things, right? A, cyanide toxicity. B, thiocyanate toxicity. C, methemoglobinemia. D, thiosulfate toxicity. So those are the four things and toxicities and problems you can see. And you they're giving you the scenario you have to parse it out. Yeah. So the good news, if you remember from our last discussion where yeah. we talked about methemoglobinemia, one of the hallmarks is that it causes that SAT to just go down and stay right around 85%, give or take. And so cyanide toxicity will not do that, right? We talked about that. You can't use the oxygen, so it, you'll be satting 100%. Thiocyanate, we just talked about the um, the sequelae of that in terms of it causing anorexia, nausea, fatigue, disorientation, toxic psychosis, but not necessarily desaturation. Um, and then thiosulfate toxicity also does not cause desaturation. And so you're really left with uh, what would cause you to go down to 85% and sit there. Uh, methemoglobinemia is going to be right. your answer. Yeah. And so they do say in like the answer explanation that cyanide toxicity is possible. Obviously, this is a huge amount of nitroprusside over multiple days. Um, but what you would see if it was cyanide toxicity, especially someone who's mechanically ventilated, is you would see a metabolic acidosis and you would become resistant to the hypotensive effects of the drug despite like the infusion rate. So that's kind of the hallmark of the um, cyanide toxicity. And the other question that you're going to see is how would you diagnose that? And you do that by measuring the mixed venous PaO2. And it would be very high in cyanide toxicity. So that's the other question that you see here. I couldn't find one like that, but I know I've seen them in the past. Yeah. Okay. So if this, the gentleman we just talked about uh, needed to go for emergency surgery, what of the following is the most appropriate treatment of methemoglobinemia prior to emergency surgery? A, hydroxycobalamin, B, methylene blue, C, oxygen by face mask, D, packed red blood cells, E, thiosulfate. And the good news here is that this is methemoglobinemia has the easiest reversal agent to remember because it sounds just like it. Methemoglobinemia, you can reverse with methylene blue. So methylene blue will treat this problem. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, this is no joke. Last night, I'm sitting there eating dinner with my family. We're having factor. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, looks up to me and she says, Daddy, how do they make this taste so good? It's like we're at a restaurant. Even my two younger daughters, who are incredibly picky eaters, are loving every meal we get from Factor, every single one. They even eat the vegetables that Factor makes without complaining. In addition to 35 different options every week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, and more, there are 55 add-ons you can choose from. We added on some breakfast options, and the kids love those too. The convenience is amazing. Two minutes, and the food is ready to go. Honestly, I'd eat these things for the convenience, even if they weren't so good. But the incredible thing is that it's both super fast and so tasty. 
I wouldn't have believed it until I tried it, but trust me, I'm not making this up. And they're super flexible. You can change your order up anytime, pause, or reschedule. Head to factormeals.com slash ACRAC50 and use code ACRAC50 to get 50% off. That's code ACRAC50 at factormeals.com slash ACCRAC50 to get 50% off. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, and we're back. Um, so here's another question. After emergency repair of a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm, a 68-year-old patient is mechanically ventilated in the ICU with 20 centimeters water, a positive and expiratory pressure. So PEEP for three days. Sodium nitroprusside has been infused at a rate of 1.5 micrograms per kilo per minute for 48 hours to control hypertension. Suddenly, suddenly, the systemic blood pressure falls from 130 over 70 to 50, and the SAO2 drops to 75. The most likely cause of this scenario is cyanide toxicity A, B, acute myocardial infarction, C, tension pneumothorax, D, hyperventilation. And I like this because it's one of these, they have a lot of distractors, and it's easy to say nitroprusside, cyanide toxicity, bam, moving on, right? But you yep. got to look at everything all together here. Yep, that's exactly right. So cyanide toxicity would not cause the SAT to drop. We've covered that. So even though you might snap to that when you know they're on nitroprusside, you don't want to do that because it doesn't fit. Acute MI would not necessarily drop your SAT either. I could, obviously, if you had flash pulmonary edema or something, but that's a little less, would happen a little less abruptly just like that, uh, unless it was a massive MI. And though they're not describing, really telling you the patient is still awake or alive, but, uh, you know, they... um they uh, still have a blood pressure, I guess. So, uh, but not much. So, you know, that, that's not a terrible answer, but probably a little less likely than tension pneumothorax, right? Something that's going to happen suddenly that is, go- they've been, they give you the fact that they're on pretty high peep. And so they're trying to get at maybe they popped a bleb and now they're, they're developing a tension pneumo. That would certainly cause the desaturation, the hypotension. Um, hyperventilation is not going to cause these things. And I don't think the cyanide toxicity would be like that immediate, right? right? It would be like over the course of a couple hours, you see this acidosis and um, the mixed venous is increasing. So I, I like this question because it's really easy to be like, oh, nitroprusside, complication of nitroprusside. But you got to look at all the parts together. And this actually is a tension pneumothorax. And they do that quite a bit. Nitroprusside and actually nitroglycerin are super common distractor answers. You see that a lot Um, when I was looking through that. So many of the questions I found had nitroglycerin as a distractor answer. Um, So this is a question that goes back to like the methemoglobinemia. It's not quite nitroprusside, but 19-year-old college kid, I think we saw this last time, coming into the ED, cyanotic, incoherent, respirate 48, pulse 140, blood pressure 140 over 85, only history obtainable. He was at a party and he suddenly felt sick. Cyanosis persists despite the administration of pure oxygen by mask. So that's their way of telling you that it's probably not um, carboxyhemoglobin, a venous blood sample is chocolate brown. The action most beneficial to the patient would be A, intubate the trachea and control ventilation, B, perform bronchoscopy to treat foreign body aspiration, C, obtain a pulmonary ventilation perfusion scan, D, administer methylene blue intravenously, E, administer thiosulfate and normal saline solution intravenously. 
right? So they, again, that chocolate brown blood, they want you to think about, they're, they're giving you a clue that we're looking at methemoglobinemia. And um, similarly, the uh, they didn't give you, but if they had given you a SAD, it would have been probably around 85%. So same thing. And then as we discussed that, you're going to treat with methylene blue. And I think this kid, if I remember the answer explanation, he was doing like whippets, which I don't really know what they are. Something. <laughs> well, I think it's, yeah, I certainly don't know from personal experience either, but I think that it's nitrous, nitrous, Nit- right? It's nitrous. nitrous or nitrous, yeah. something. No, yeah. It's something nitrous. Nitrous. Yeah, it's <laughs> nitrous, laughing gas. Yeah. It's laughing gas, nitrous. Yeah, so that's okay, why it's laughing gas, got it. it. And that and can that cause, can cause that hemoglobinemia, right. Yeah. Um, and I put this one in because, again, I like the distractor answers and Sarin nerve gas poisoning, it comes up every year. It's like just another high yield topic. But which of the following medications would be useful in the definitive treatment of sarin nerve gas poisoning? A, sodium nitroprusside, B, methylene blue, C, atropine, D, all of the above are useful. Right. So nerve gas, uh, like um, uh, fertilizers, are usually uh, acetylcholinesterase um in uh, they are uh, anticholinesterases, and so you are decreasing. Uh, sorry, they are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. So you are f- increasing your delivery of acetylcholine, and so you need an anticholinergic to fight them. And so atropine is going to be your um, your antidote here because you want oh, to block nice. the muscarinic uh, uh, the right. acetylcholine effect. Yeah. I, my first year of med school, I went to med school in New York City and my MS one year was when 9-11 happened. And so I feel like a lot of my first and second year of med school, we really were concentrating heavy on these like biological warfare and they were very common questions back then. I feel like they're starting to peter out a little bit, but they still come up. They, they're, they're very high yield. Um, okay. So the next question, the next, uh, key point for nitroprusside or contraindications. So it's contraindicated in patients, obviously, of inadequate cerebral perfusion, acute heart failure with a low SVR, vitamin B12 deficiency. You don't want to use it with phosphodiesterase inhibitors. You also don't want to use it with people who are on um, sildenafil. It can cause, like, sudden cardiac arrest. And I'm forgetting the drug. What is the one that you use for erectile dysfunction? Is that sildenafil? Yeah, so the Viagra, but yeah. that's... Uh, yeah. yeah, you really don't want to use nitroprusside in that population because they're basically already on like these vasodilators, yeah. Right. And then I never had heard this before, but something lear- new I learned is it's contraindicated in patients with Lieber's hereditary optic atrophy or tobacco am- amblyopia, which are eye things. And I guess in that population, those patients are deficient in rotenes, which is the enzyme that detoxifies cyanide. So who knew? I learned something new. I've never seen a question about that. It's a little trivia out there. Yeah. Interesting. And then it's also contraindicated in patients with G6PD deficiency. So here's a question. And so you can tell which questions are older because they have five answer choices. And you can tell which ones are kind of like not like not that old because they have four. This is like a brand new spanking question because it only has three. <laughs> Soon <laughs> it'll just have test one. Right now. So yeah, this is this is from the ACE questions that the ABA releases every year. This is like from the most recent ACE questions. And it's which of the following medications are contraindicated in glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency? A, sodium nitroprusside, B, methohexital, C, succinylcholine. Yeah, you're telling me only three choices. That In 10 yeah. years, Jillian, they'll just be one. <laughs> like this, I know, right? Yeah, we're down to three. This is the yeah. way it is now. We're getting there. Yeah, no, we will see more and more of this because I guess the data shows that that it's just as good of a test with three as as opposed to four or five. Um, and so, yes, as we've talked about, sodium nitroprusside can um, 
uh, is contraindicated in these patients. Yes. And the reason why is because patients with G6PD are unable to handle and reduce an increased load of methemoglobin. So any drug that's going to increase the level of methemoglobin, so prilocaine, nitroprusside, nitroglycerin, that is contraindicated in G6PD. And it's interesting to me that this is like a 2022 ACE questions, which are written by the ABA. So this stuff is still relevant today. They still want us to know this when we're doing our continuing medical education, which leads me to another uh, met hemoglobin. So again, the hemoglobinopathy part two, which of the following drugs is not associated with met hemoglobinemia? So A, benzocaine, B, nitroprusside, C, bupivacaine, D, prilocaine, E, nitroglycerin. Right, so not associated with methemoglobinemia. We talked last time about benzocaine in the in the hurricane spray. Hurricane spray, yeah. We've been talking about nitroglycerin, prilocaine, also in the hurricane spray. Nitroglycerin, we haven't gotten to yet, but that also can do it. So bupivacaine yeah. is the one that is not associated. Right. And there's a whole list of drugs: antimalarials, some antibiotics, some locals, um, dapso, nitroglycerin, nitroprusside. There's a whole bunch of drugs that they want you to know that can be associated with methemoglobinemia, and all of those should be avoided in patients with G6PD. Um, so the last question that I pulled was actually about deliberate hypertension, because every now and again, you're going to see a question about controlled hypertension. So that's key point six is nitroprusside used to be commonly used for deliberate hypertension, which I think in general we've gotten away from doing, but it is the process of deliberately reducing a patient's blood pressure, um, about 30% reduction in baseline and MAP for a therapeutic purpose. And you can do it by either reducing SVR, cardiac output. And so here's a question that I found about deliberate hypotension. Is each of the following increases arterial to end tidal carbon dioxide tension difference except A, addition of PEEP, B, deliberate hypotension, C, endobrachial intubation, D, hypovolemia, E, pulmonary embolism? I just thought it was an interesting question. Maybe not relative to nitroprusside, but Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, if you think about endobronchial intubation, so now you're, you know, down only one lung. And so what's going to happen is your uh, end tidal CO2, well, your, your, um, not your end tidal CO2 that you're picking up in that lung is, should be, um, the, still the right amount that's being delivered from the body. So you shouldn't have a change in the difference between the PCO2, which is what is in the arterial side and the, and tidal CO2 because it's still going to match your, right. uh, you know, depending on how deep you are, it may start building up, but it'll build up in both. Um, whereas these other things can cause a difference. Right. So that is the conclusion of nitroprusside. I know that it's a lot, but it's an interesting drug. And I think all of the pathways that you need to know and all of the toxicities that can happen, it just is a drug that can yield a lot of questions. And I, I actually think it's a very high yield topic, which moves us to nitroglycerin, which I think is actually not that high yield. So when you go into amp- open anesthesia and you type in the keyword, if it gives you like 10 things, you know that it's like commonly tested. The only thing that I found for nitroglycerin was the only like active keyword was um Uterine relaxants. So uterine relaxants may be required to assist in the removal of retained placental products or correction of uterine inversion. So that's what I found, and that's what they're testing. And it's interesting because in this 2022 ACE questions, now down to three options. (laughs) According to the ASA practice guidelines for the management of retained placenta, which of the following medications is the most acceptable alternative to general anesthesia with halogenated agents to achieve uterine relaxation? A, dexmedetomidine, B, nitroglycerin, C, hydralazine. And as you said, nitroglycerin is going to be your option here. 
And that's really what they're testing. And that's really what they're, you're still seeing now in this day and age for, for MOCA and CME credit is they want you to know this. So according to the ASA practice guidelines for OB anesthesia, you can give nitroglycerin to admin, um, to achieve uterine relaxation. You can do it, uh, sublingual or you can give it IV and you're going to get, uh, smooth muscle relaxation, very short lived, two to three minutes. And, uh, it's a, it's, very much like nitroprusside, and it's a very quick onset, a quick offset, and it's very titratable. Um, and it, the big difference between nitroglycerin and nitroprusside is nitroglycerin gives the smooth muscle relaxation, while nitroprusside will not. Um, so the last couple of key points for nitroglycerin, I just put down other, right? So you can use it to treat angina, acute MI, severe hypertension, acute coronary artery spasms. It can be given IV sublingual or as a patch. It is a pro-drug that is denitrated to produce nitric oxide. So just like nitroprusside, the active component is the nitric oxide. Side effects can include severe hypotension, reflex tachycardia, headaches. In long-term use, you can actually see nitrate uh, tolerance, so it doesn't work anymore. And then again, you can see met hemoglobinemia. So here are a couple questions uh, regarding nitroglycerin. 54-year-old patient undergoing a three-vessel cabbage under general anesthesia. After induction, the pulmonary capillary wedge pressure is 15 and his PA pressure is 26 over 13. Suddenly, new 30-millimeter um, v waves appear on the monitor screen. Systemic blood pressure is 120 over 70, heart rate 75, and the PA pressure is now 50 over 35. Which of the following drugs should be administered to the patient? A, nitroglycerin, B, nitroprusside, C, esmolol, D, dobutamine. Yeah. So, um, this patient had a, uh, big jump up in their PA pressure. Um, big V waves, which uh, can represent um, retrograde blood into the left atrium um, during systole, so uh, either mitral valve prolapse or or frank um, MR. And so um, this seems like something bad has happened with their left ventricle. You want to reduce stress on the ventricle, and so nitroglycerin is going to be a good choice. Yeah, and I will be honest, for anyone who's listening, I would not have gotten this question correct. <laughs> the only reason I have is because I have the answer right in front of me. And the answer that they gave is that ischemia of the posterior wall of the left ventricle and posterior leaflet of the mitral valve can cause prolapse of the posterior leaflet and retrograde blood flow into the left atrium during, during systole. This can be manifested at the V waves on the, on the wedge pressure tracing, even before ST segment depression can be seen on the EKG. So what they're saying, this is, um, an early marker of, uh, yeah, big problems. Yeah. All right, next um, one here. Oh, so did you have something no, to say? No. Yeah, no, cardiac, this is not my area of expertise. No, I'm just saying. I, I'm happy to go back to the uterine relaxation <laughs> <laughs> one, but I, I do have the luxury of, like, looking at these beforehand, so. Uh, okay, next question. After receiving excessive intraoperative blood replacement, a patient anesthetized with fentanyl, diazepam, and nitrous oxide develops acute pulmonary edema. The drug most likely to help him is... Isofluorine, nitroprusside, digoxin, nitroglycerin, furosemide. Yeah, so this is tricky because they're telling you pulmonary edema. They, you may want to, you know, think about uh, Lasix or furosemide here. Um, but uh, interesting, they're telling you after excessive blood replacement. So you are made this patient hypervolemic, and you need to treat it right away. And while Lasix will obviously help with hypervolemia eventually because the patient will urinate uh, more. What will treat it most acutely and abruptly is to decrease preload by the, giving nitroglycerin because that's going to increase the venous capacitance right away and immediately reduce preload to the heart. Yeah. 
Um, so I, these next two questions I put in because the answer isn't always nitroglycerin, even, you know, though it's listed, it's kind of a distractor answer choice, but so this is 75 year old with aortic stenosis and coronary artery disease has a pre-induction heart rate of 68 and blood pressure of 125 over 70 after induction of anesthesia with fentanyl, midazolam and pancuronium. That's also how you know, this is an older question, pancuronium. <laughs> heart rate's 90, blood pressure is 85 over 45. EKG shows a new ST segment elevation in lead two, which of the following is the most appropriate initial management? Ephedrine, epinephrine, esmolol, nitroglycerin, phenylephrine. Right. So they are getting at the fact that this this patient got induced and now they're hypotensive. And with that significant hypotension, you're seeing some ST changes. And so you clearly do not want to drop the blood pressure, which nitroglycerin would do. And so that's not the right answer. Esmolol also, um, while a heart rate of 90 might not be great uh, for a patient having some ischemia, you can't give esmolol without addressing the fact that the blood pressure is really low. Epi would make the heart rate higher, and so would ephedrine. So those would bring up your pressure, which is good, but they'd make the heart rate higher. And so what they are what they want you to choose here is phenylephrine, which will increase your afterload and therefore your cardiac perfusion without increasing your heart rate and therefore not increase your cardiac demand. And the reason I picked this question is because I don't want it to be a knee-jerk reaction, OST segment elevation, nitroglycerin. It's not always going to be the appropriate um, treatment there. So yeah, so this one's phenylephrine. And again, another one, a uh, 50-year-old man with severe coronary artery disease undergoes coronary artery bypass grafting. Five minutes after termination of cardiopulmonary bypass, ST segment elevation is noted in lead two. And vitals are as the following. Blood pressure is now 70 over 40, pulse is 80, CVP is 16, PAP is 25 over 10. What would be the appropriate management? A, give propanolol, B, give nitroglycerin, C, give dopamine, D, administer a crystalloid, E, return the patient to cardiopulmonary bypass. Yeah, so we're just, I don't do cardiac, but we're just five minutes I don't either. Out. We're limping along here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just five minutes out from bypass and things look pretty bad, right? A severely yeah. low blood pressure, ST elevations. Sounds to me like going back on bypass to fix the problem is probably the safest thing. Right. And again, they just don't want you to have that knee jerk, oh, it's ST segment elevation or depression. So we've got to go to nitroglycerin. They want you to think through the whole thing. All right. And the last one here for nitroglycerin. So if a 50-year-old man who takes aspirin and nifedipine is scheduled for thoracotomy with one lung ventilation, which of the following is associated with the greatest risk for intraoperative hypoxemia? A, preoperative withdrawal of nifedipine therapy. B, intraoperative mild respiratory acidosis. C, intraoperative administration of isoflurane. D, intraoperative administration of nitroglycerin. Or E, intraoperative thoracic epidural morphine. Interesting. Well, you know, certainly um, withdrawal of nifedipine therapy, no reason that should cause hypoxemia. Intraop, uh, mild respiratory acidosis, again, should not. Uh, intraop administration of isoflurane, again, we do that all the time, doesn't cause hypoxemia. Um, and intraoperative thoracic epidural morphine, again, not, no reason that should cause hypoxia. So we're really left with uh, nitroglycerin. And, you know, my guess here is that they're getting at the hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction right. again. Yeah, exactly. So those are all the questions of all of these. If you're going to get a question about nitroglycerin, my guess is it's going to be about the retained products and uterine relaxation because that's what like the most current questions are. And for nitroprusside, it's probably going to be about some of the toxicities like the cyanide or the methemoglobinemia or thiosulfate, thiocyanide, those type of things. Great. All right. Fabulous. Thanks, Jillian. Let's turn to the portion of our show where we make random recommendations. 
What do you have for us? <laughs> it is quite random, but there is a British like writer, comedian. Uh, her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think she was in the most recent Indiana Jones. Uh, I love the shows that she has written. There's one that's on Netflix. It's called Crashing. So it used to be, and I don't know if they still have this in England, but it used to be like some buildings that had been like condemned, but just kind of sitting there, they would let people called guardians live there for really cheap and just kind of like watch the place. But it's like this kind of terrible crumbling place. So she wrote a show called crashing about people who are living in this like defunct hospital and their like interactions. And then the other one that she wrote is on um, Amazon prime. It's called Fleabag. And it's about a very dysfunctional family. <laughs> but I, I love British humor. I love her writing. I think she's just a really talented actress. So I recommend both those shows. Awesome. Yeah, we've watched Fleabag, but I have, didn't know about Crashing. So I'll have to check that out. Um, and I'm I love recommend- season two. It was so much better. Season one, like you got to get through season one. And then season two is just so much better. Okay, Fleabag. great. Have you watched both? Uh, uh, Fleabag? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but not Crash. I haven't ever watched Crashing at all. Um, all right. I'm going to recommend a book, um, that I'm not through with yet, but, um, fans of the show will know that I'm a big fan of Peter Atia's podcast, The Drive. I think he does a really nice job of talking about all the kind of latest evidence around longevity. And most people probably know he recently came out with a book that really just is, is a a large, uh, amount of information all about the latest cutting edge information about longevity, what we know, what we know about trying to increase not just our lifespan, but our health span. So how long we stay healthy. Um, and it's really, really well done. He reads it. So if you like audiobooks, you can hear him reading it himself. It's kind of like the world's longest podcast episode, or <laughs> you can read it or go back and forth like I do. But uh, he does a great job and I'm really enjoying it. So I would recommend checking that out. Sure. All right, Jillian, thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course. All right. Hopefully you got as much out of that as I did. That was really fantastic. Let us know what you thought. Go to the website, akrak.com, where you can leave a comment. Others can learn from what you have to say. If you are a fan of the show, you can follow us. We're on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Reddit. And we are on Instagram. I'm at Jay Wolpaw on Twitter, and we're at Akrak Podcast. And you can find us on all those other platforms as well. If you are a fan of the show, please consider going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. If you'd like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. Even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, it makes a big difference and we really appreciate it. You can also make donations anytime by going to paypal.me slash ACRAC. Or looking up Jay Walpaw on Venmo. Thank you so much to those who have already made donations and become patrons. We really appreciate it. Thanks, as always, to our fantastic ACRAC crew. Dr. Brian Park is our tech lead. Sonia Aminat and Sophia Wu are our social media managers. Doctors April Liu, Chris Reese, and Edison Jiang are our production assistants. Thank you so much for all that you do. Our original ACRAC music is by Dr. Dennis Kuo. You can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right. That is it for today. For the ACRAC Podcast, I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.